I was watching a golf match on television recently, and there was the inevitable religious fanatic with the sign, John 3.16, behind the camera. We've all seen this, and it, uh, it's always surprising. It sounds a little judgmental to say a fanatic, but suppose you are aware of the fact that the word fanatic literally means inspired by divinity. That's Webster's interpretation. So we're not trying to be judgmental, but just to point out that these things do happen is really surprising. But it, it was reminiscent when I saw this. It reminded me of, apropos of our lesson today, of a sign that I saw on Times Square carried, carried by one of these people some years ago. It said, repent for the eyes of God are upon you. I think that for many persons it's probably conjured up a picture of the Michelangelo-like God sitting up there in the heavens on his golden throne looking down on sinful people and recording their errant ways. In this context, it sounds pretty weird. Actually, it's a perception of God that most of us have been conditioned to in our early religious instruction. When we talk about God or read about God, the mind turns to the image of a big man up there with bulging muscles and flowing white hair and beard. You may say, but I don't think of God that way. Of course not consciously. But the mind finds it very difficult to imagine God as spirit. We use the words, we speak that as an affirmation. Unless we're alert, any mention of God will evoke the perception of the man like God, with hands with which to perform acts, with a mouth and voice with which to communicate, with eyes with which to see. That's how it's fixed into our consciousness. It's very hard to get away from that. Now I believe God is everywhere, we say. I'm a true student. I don't believe that kind of a God. When you start to say a prayer or lead a prayer in a group, what do you do? Chances are very likely that you be in your prayer, Dear, dear Lord, you know that I'm not as bad as I appear to be. I'm really trying. Please help me. So in your prayer consciousness, you evidence the belief in the figure up there, the man in the skies. Phyllis McGinley, in her poem, The Day After Sunday, comments on the perception of God. She's given by sermons coming from the pulpits of the land every Sunday. She says, Always on Monday morning, the press reports, God is revealed to his vicars in his various guises. Benevolent, stormy, patient, or out of sorts, God knows which God is the God God recognizes. When we try to understand God, it's like a fish trying to understand water. I would say, what is the one thing a fish can ever find? Water. What's the one thing a man can ever find? God. There's no way that you can find God because God is not lost. And many persons spend most of their lives looking for God, trying to reach God, trying to find God. The problem of understanding God is that in a three-dimensional perspective, we're trying to relate to something that is fourth-dimensional in nature. It would invariably form a relative image of an absolute principle and process. So actually we create our God in an image likeness, our image likeness. From the anthropomorphic influence of the Bible, we talk with God and talk to God. God loves and hates and gives life and takes it away. 
There's a God out there. It's important in our quest for truth and self-realization to get a larger thought of God. Emerson says, when we have broken with the God of tradition and ceased from the God of the intellect, God fires us with his presence. It is the presence of God that is the key to understanding. The activity of God present as us. What is this activity? It's not a God present somewhere. It's divine mind that is present everywhere. Wherever you are, God is. God is present in all his entirety at every point in space at the same time. The whole of God is present in and as you. Let's play with this for a moment. Augustine says, God is a circle whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. God is a circle whose center is everywhere, whose circumference is nowhere. That's clear enough. Can you draw a picture of it? Center is everywhere and its circumference is nowhere. Think of God as a circle. And God created man. To see this graphically as we normally hold it in consciousness, put the circle in the figure of man out here. The circle of God created man. That's totally out, out of line. What you really need to do is a circle and put the man in the circle. God created man in and of himself. Man is an eachness within the allness, which is God. God creating himself within the form of man, within his consciousness. If we can get this understanding, it will help us in all of our spiritual ways, especially in prayer. We've so locked ourselves into the consciousness of God out here, up there, somewhere. We pray we try to reach God. We try to get into God. The prayer is not trying to get into God or trying to get God into us. The psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. I am his God, expressing as me. In Genesis, we read that God created man in his, in his image and after his likeness. God created man in his image and after his likeness. It's important to keep the thread here. God here refers to cosmic energy in a creative process. Not something that is somewhere. The universal activity, which is everywhere. So when God created man in his image, there's a slowing down of the vibration of cosmic energy, which allegorically is described as God creating man in his image. The image is not the man like God, but an idea in divine mind, a perfect man. So man is God seeing himself, outforming himself, creating himself. The story is told of a man who searched the world over to find God. He went to Tibet, to India, to the Vatican City, to all the holy places of the world, but he couldn't find God. One morning when he was shaving, he looked in there in the mirror, was God looking at him through his own eyes. Meister Eckert says, the eye with which God sees, the eye with which I see God is the same eye with which God sees me. The eye with which I see God is the same eye with which God sees me. The word I comes from the ancient Sanskrit, which means fountain. 
The process of seeing is a flowing forth from you of a spiritual blessing. It's why Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is confusing to some folks who they think that it's saying that God is somewhere to be seen. The important thing is, blessed are the pure in heart, pure in consciousness, pure in the awareness of the honest of God. You will see God everywhere because you see from a consciousness of God. You project the consciousness of God. In other words, you see from God. I say that when you pray, don't pray to God. Pray from the consciousness of God. If you pray to God, you're praying out there. You're praying to God as a person somewhere, hoping that he will come down here and be with you. God can't come down here and be with you. Because God is a present, which is always present where you are, and can't be absent. There's no way God can be separated from you or absent from you. God is present in all ways in his entirety. And we see this, then blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will see God in the tree, God in the flowers, God in the person, God in the activity, whatever it be, good or bad, even God in the war. They see God everywhere. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. For God created man in his own image and after his likeness. The image is you as God sees you. Always. No matter what condition your life is in. The image is you as God sees you. And the likeness is that which must be worked out in your consciousness and not formed in your body and affairs. It's your destiny to produce a likeness in the without of the divine image within. As we have a goal that's believable and achievable, is that in you which, in me, which is always perfectible. That's the Christ demonstration is repeatable. See that again. You have a goal that is believable and achievable. The goal of the perfecting the image likeness in your body and affairs. It's believable and achievable. Is that in you that in me that is always perfectible? Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Why would he say that if he didn't believe it? Be ye perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. There's that in you that is perfectible. That's the Christ demonstration is repeatable. That's something that many folks can't understand. Certainly it's a sacrilegious view to traditional religionists. But it's the fundamental of our realization of truth. The Christ is not a person. It's the divine dimension within man. Then we say, as God sees you, is God seeing himself as you? The identity of God is individualized as you. You can say, and you should, I am the self-expression of God. I am the presence of God where I am. I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. One of the most powerful spiritual treatments and affirmations is, I see myself as God sees me, whole, wise, and triumphant. I see myself as God sees me, courageous, strong, and healthy. I see myself as God sees me, successful and happy in abundance. Paul talks about putting on the Christ. This is very confusing to the religious seeker. We think of it as putting on a mask, putting on something from without. But to put on the Christ is not putting on something like a mask. Rather, it's revealing the reality of you, which is to see yourself as God sees you. Put on the Christ means to put on the receptivity 
to see the Christ in yourself and in people. It's important to recognize that God does not see judgmentally. The man said, repent, for God has his eyes upon you. He can be very misleading. God doesn't see judgmentally. God doesn't see evil, limitation, sickness, crime. God doesn't see this. We're told God, the eyes of God are too pure, too pure to behold iniquity. God can't see iniquity because God, anything that God sees, God must be. If he sees crime, then God must be a criminal. If he's sickness, then God must be sickness. God doesn't judge or see judgmentally. Jesus says, judge not according to appearances, but judge righteous judgment. This is the code of the universe. You get into the Christ conscious, you don't judge by appearances. You judge righteously, which means the right use of the divine process. To judge righteously is to see good in people, see good in conditions, hold to the good. When you deal with appearances, you're involved with facts and effects, which always leads to frustration and confusion. Forgiveness is a problem that many of us have in our thoughts of God. Quite often a person says, oh, I just wish God would forgive me. I've been hoping for years that God would forgive me for something I've done. I'm a miserable sinner. Shocking as it may seem, God doesn't forgive. There's no point in asking God to forgive you because God can't forgive you. There's no unforgiveness in God because there's no judgment in God. That's important to see. The purpose of your life is to outform this divine image in your body and affairs. By the will or creative intention of God in you, there's a ceaseless longing to perfect in your life experience that which God eternally sees you as being. In truth, we talk about the divine potential in the person. Some people deal with this as something extraneous to themselves, something that you can achieve or somehow get into your life from the outside. If we see people with divine perception, relating to them from a higher dimension, we see them as a person, no matter how perverse, the person can never be less than God's great possibility. You can never be less than the whole potential that you are. The deeper self of you is you as God sees you. Is God seeing himself as you. This is hard to see in some people. It's even hard to see it in ourselves. Think about this. Here's a youngster tramping into the newly polished kitchen floor with grime from head to foot after playing on a slag heap tramping mud all over the floor. The mother may say, you dirty little boy. But he's not a dirty boy at all. Beneath the layer of grime is a boy in there somewhere who simply soiled a little. And the soil can be removed with a little soap and water. And beneath the habits and perverse ways of a teenager is a child of God, the potential to be uncovered and discovered. When we see the teenager out in the world doing all sorts of perverse things, sometimes even criminal things. So we say he's a terrible boy, he's a bad boy, he's a limited boy, he's a criminal. He's a whole and perfect boy. He's a person with dirty hands and errant ways. But God sees him as whole. No matter who the person is. That's hard for us. You know, we begin to grasp the idea. God can only see good because God is good. God can only see life and wholeness. Our need is to get in tune with that. The little boy or the teenager may not be aware of him, his divine nature. Because he doesn't, he acts the part of 
limitation. And the thing we need to do to help him and to help ourselves, to get the realization, always beyond the appearance, beyond the facts, beyond the conditions there out there, there's something good, there's something whole. Every person is a whole person on the quest of becoming whole, of seeing that wholeness. He may see a limitation and illness. He may live consciously in the thought that he's a bad person. But always there's that in him which is whole and good. We want to help him. We want to help him to see that, to know that. To see himself as a child of God and to act a part. We used to say with children in Sunday school, when they were acting up, we have them stand up in front of the class and say, I'm a child of God and I act like it. Imagine they get the message. If you act a part of your divine identity, act it, give it expression. In our lives, we need to act a part by positive words. So when we say, this is a very sick person. But he's not a sick person. He's a person experiencing sickness. That's not a play on words. It's a very important insight. You're never a sick person. You're always a person experiencing sickness. I'm not saying he's not, he doesn't experience sickness, because he does. It's there. You might as well face it. It's there. But don't judge by the appearances. Judge righteous judgment. He's a whole person at the present time experiencing lack, difficulties, and confusion. But he's a whole person. That's the fundamental. If you start at that point, then you can do something about it. You're a whole person. Act a part. Don't act a part of sickness. Don't act a part of limitation. What we know about psychosomatics of medicine, realize that many of the limitations that we have in life are there because we're acting the part, because we're in that level of consciousness. With our fears and our anxieties, we're expressing all sorts of limitations, causing a frustration of the divine potential, closing off the divine activity that seeks to express itself in fullness. One doctor says that sickness is struggling health. Health is always present, struggling to get out, but we're holding it to ourselves, identifying with it. I'm sick, I'm, I'm poor, I'm limited, I'm terrible. I'm just a terrible person, a person would say. No matter who you are, you're not a terrible person. You're a person confused about who you are. When you understand who you are, you'll let go of the terrible visions you have about yourself. See yourself as whole and perfect. And you can begin to act a part, let it out. This concept of the Christ and the divine potential in every person is the sad deficiency, by and large, in the wide sweep of Christianity. It's the missing link. The thing that causes people to be a part of the Christian idea all their lives never really get the message. Think of it as a religion that you put on, you go to church to get, get religion, you learn the catechism, you put it on like a mask, as a person puts on his Sunday meeting clothes to go to church. Something you do. As the poet says, they're praising God on Sunday, they'll be all right on Monday. It's just a little habit they've acquired. But in the limitation of this Christian concept, the Christ is thought of as Jesus. If I were full, I recognize that many folks would be terribly irritated if they knew I was saying such a thing. But the Christ is not Jesus. The Christ is the divine potential in the person that Jesus discovered in himself, but it was a principle. That same potential is in all persons. And one time, I was expressing this in a class. A person told me afterwards, that was very revealing, because, you know, I've always thought of Jesus as the son of Mr. and Mrs. Christ. 
seems ridiculous to think of it in that sense, but that's pretty much what people have thought. Maybe you've thought of it yourself. Christ is not a person. Christ is not Jesus. Christ is the divine dimension within all life, within all persons, which Jesus discovered. That's what he's identified with it as Jesus Christ. We're told that we can only be helped by accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. This is to externalize something that is personal and innate. Paul clearly says, Christ in you, your hope of glory. Christ in you, your hope of glory. Not Jesus Christ. One of the ways I like to see this is think of Jesus apostrophe Christ. Jesus is Christ. Eric's Christ. John's Christ. August Christ. Paul's Christ. Something within us. It's the depth of us. It's the reality of us. The whole of us. Which we express only in part, as Paul says. So the Christ is the divine self of you. It's not a different personality. It's that which is behind the facade. No matter what kind of a mask you're wearing. The back of the mask of ugliness. The mask of sinfulness. The mask of weakness. The mask of sinfulness. Is the whole and perfect self. God Man, as God sees you, the Christ of you. There's a deep center in the being of every person, a divine self to be awakened, a ray of God's life to be expressed. So Jesus is the embodiment of the universal principle of the imminence of God in man. Jesus has shown us what the ideal is to which the principle will lead. When Jesus says, Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, He's talking about the goal of all life. We sometimes wonder what we're here for. We especially wonder this when we're experiencing very great difficulties. What's the meaning of life all about anyway? But the goal of life, in our experience, is to progress and unfold and release this divine self of us. Every experience we have is, is a part of a lesson helps us eventually to find our depth. If instead of somebody seeking to grow, to go through it, we seek to grow through it. For life is growth. Without the perspective of the dimension of the self and of the Christ potential, the human brain is often treated like a sealed compartment. There is irrefutable, irrefutable evidence to show that in certain persons through ESP or child prodigy, or in a person of genius, normal limit is exceeded to an amazing degree. Yet scholars still insist that the brain and the enormous number of brain cells are sufficient to account for any paranormal phenomena. Some significant thoughts by Professor William Bateson of the British Society for Scientific Research. He says, we are now finding beyond doubt that the gifted and geniuses of mankind are due not so much to something added to the ordinary person, but instead are due to factors which in the normal person inhibits the development of these gifts. They are now without doubt to be looked upon as releases of powers normally suppressed. There is within every person, then, the potential for what Thoreau called the license of a higher order of beings. One like Jesus, endowed with a highly evolved consciousness, is incomprehensible to us in contemporaries. We only talk of miracles and divine dispensation. What is normally forgotten that Jesus was demonstrating that which must ultimately become normal possession of the highly evolved human race. But it's important to remember, the divine self of you is not a different personality. That which is always behind the facade, no matter what you may be wearing. 
New Thought teachers and writers often talk about the great sleeping giant of your divine potential. It's a perception that it's a kind of genie to bring out of a bottle for use in solving your personal problems and needs. We use it out of caution. As we get into a kind of schizoid perspective, which where we become a split personalities. Great sleeping giant, so-called, is the Christ in you. It's sleeping only because you're sleeping in your perception of it. It's always dynamic, always present, always whole. Jesus says, Awake thou that sleepest, that Christ may shine upon you. Awake thou that sleepest. In every case when we're facing limitation, we're asleep to our divine potential. And the divine potential of the God self of us is always present, active, dynamic, and ready to heal, to bless, to unfold. We can just awake and accept it. The human potential is the divine potential of you, the divine self of you, which is the Christ of you, which is you as God sees you. God sees you as whole, and he is the Christ in you, your potential for healing. God sees you equal to any desire, and he is the Christ in you, your potential for success and prosperity. God sees you as a co-creator with his infinite creative process. He is the Christ in you, your potential for achievement. God sees you as a channel for the expression of his infinite love. He is the Christ in you, your potential for loving and fulfilling relationships. God sees you as a peacemaker. He is the Christ in you, your potential to make a difference in the corner of the world. I'd like you to be still now for a moment. We involve ourselves in a little visualization. I want you to imagine a piece of electronic equipment, something like a television set, and also something like an X-ray. Many scientific thinkers looking for the non-material, the paranormal, have speculated that it's possible to create a piece of equipment in which you could put an acorn under this X-ray-like device. On the television screen, it would become the image of the oak tree, the seed of a flower be revealed on the screen as the perfect flower in full color. The researchers today who really feel this is possible, and they feel they're very close to realizing this. So in this context, let's imagine ourselves standing before this type of X-ray lighting and showing on the screen that we see before us a picture of ourselves full-grown, full and fully awake, fully aware, seeing ourselves as perfect and whole as we can be. A tremendous therapy this is to see ourselves in this way. When we let go of the limitation, the weakness, the fear, the anxiety, the question whether we can overcome this, work out this difficulty, that we have the strength and character to overcome the weakness. And we see ourselves as we can be, whole, complete, perfect, successful. Visualize that. You might do it often. Just take a moment to get still and 
Do you want to visualize some sort of equipment? Look into the screen or into the camera. And on the screen, see, even if you just imagine, all that you would like to be in life. For the truth is, what you would like to be, what you desire to be, what you hope to be, what you already are. You couldn't desire it unless it were true. You couldn't hope for it unless it were already the possibility in consciousness. See yourself as God sees you. The greatest form of prayer, the greatest key to demonstrating the good that is before you, the greatest key to overcoming limitations, see yourself as God sees you. Whisper to yourself right now, I see myself as God sees me, whole, perfect, and well. I see myself as God sees me, whole, perfect, and well. With this consciousness, you can't fail. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So be it.